ask that you open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and we will be looking at verses 5 through 25 this morning. And in the, in the month of December, uh, all my messages are going to come from Luke, chapter 1, for Luke, chapter 1 sets us up for the events of Luke, chapter 2, which is the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God the Son. But Luke chapter 1 is the setup for all of this. And we're looking at Luke chapter 1, and we will begin in verse 5. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. O merciful God, we thank you once again for the opportunity to gather as your people Lord, help me, your unworthy servant, as I read your word and as I, uh, Lord, preach this morning. Uh, Lord, open our hearts to receive your word. And Lord, if there be any who know not Christ here today, I pray, Lord, that you will convict them and bring them to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, we read, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless and they had no children because that Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years and it came to pass that while he executed the priest office before God in the order of his course according to the custom of the priest office his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayers heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he return to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answered said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to show unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. 
and behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his administration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. In 1863, during the middle of the American Civil War, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote a poem that later became a Christmas carol, and it starts off very sad, the poem does, uh, because it was written during a very sad time during our American history, probably the worst time in American history, the American Civil War. In Longfellow's case, his son had just joined the Union Army. Uh, and 1863, when this poem was written, would turn out to be probably the bloodiest, one of the bloodiest years of the war, if not the bloodiest, because the bloodiest battle in American history took place at Gettysburg. And thousands upon thousands of Americans were dying, both north and south. It was total carnage. And he wrote in that poem, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carol play, and mild and sweet their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And the bells are ringing peace on earth, like a choir they're singing peace on earth. In my heart I hear them peace on earth, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in my despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Uh, it was a time of great despair, and you can tell that in that first part of that poem. And when we get to Luke chapter 1, our text, uh, in the history of Israel, though Israel was not a nation, it was a bleak time when the events of Luke 1 happen. If we go back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament ends in Malachi. And how did it end? You know, there was they were brought back from exile from Babylonia. They were God punished them, sent them into Babylonian exile. He graciously brought them back through people such as Ezra, Nehemiah, and they're back in the promised land near the end of the Old Testament, but they're not an independent country. There's no king from the lineage of David ruling, and they're under foreign rule. They're under Persian rule when Malachi 4 ends. And there's a 400-year gap between the two Testaments, between the Old and the New Testament. That's a long time. You just think about 400 years ago today. I mean, this is 2023. That'd be 1623. The King James Bible was written in 1611. It was 
translated. And it was just in its infancy. So that's a long time. So it was a 400 years of silence. And notice the last words of the book of Malachi. I'm going to go there very briefly. Uh, the last, last two verses in the Old Testament. And what are they? What did Malachi's final words, the final words, Behold, I will send you Elijah. This is Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Those were the last words we find in our Old Testament. Now, during that 400 years of silence and Excuse me for this long introduction, but I want to set it up right, really, for this whole sermon series. Uh, a lot happened between Malachi and what we're reading here in Luke. When you, Malachi ends, they were still under Persian rule, the Persian Empire. But the Persians would be conquered by Alexander the Great and the Greeks and the Macedonian Empire. Alexander wouldn't live long and he would die. Then that empire would be divided up between his generals. And finally, the Romans would come and conquer the leftovers of Alexander's empire, which brings us to our text. 400 years later, what's changed? Well, the Jews are still here. They're here in the promised land. But... They're not an independent country. They're still a conquered people. They're still an occupied people. Now they're occupied by the Romans. And, you know, if you lived in that time, you might be thinking, where is the fulfillment of Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6? What about the promises, the prophecies about a Davidic king that would rule and reign? It had to be discouraging. But things were about to change. As we read here in Luke chapter 1. And it's, you know, God, my friends, works in his, at His own timetable. And things would change with this vision in the temple that Zacharias uh, sees. Now, we're introduced to this faithful couple during this time of time of Herod when he ruled Herod the Great and Zacharias was part of a division called Abia or Abijah uh, this was a priestly division and this was a faithful couple man just look what it says about them in verse 6 that they were both righteous before God walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless when I read this, I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 6 about Noah, what it says about Noah during that time of darkness when the whole world was going after evil. There was a man named Noah who was not. And here we see this couple who was faithful unto God, who had faith in God in a time of what I would say faithlessness. Uh, but at the same time, their outward circumstances were not the best. 
Well, they're described, they're advanced in years, and they had no children. And in that day and time, that was often seen as a disgrace. And what can often happen in situations like this is we can allow our personal problems, whatever they may be, to say, you know what, God is unfair. I mean, Zacharias and Elizabeth could have said, look, other people got big families, they got five or six children, here we are, we doing our best to be faithful unto the Lord, and Elizabeth is barren, we have no children, it's just us. Uh, you know, they, they had not seen their dreams come true of having a big family, having children. And it can and when times like that happen, it can seem like God has forgotten you. That's a danger. You've got to be careful. Your flesh can can start and the devil will speak to you. God's forgotten you. He's he is nowhere near. But we see with this couple, they were faithful to God. They had faith in him. In the end, we walk by faith and not by sight, my friends. And that's what we see with Zacharias and Elizabeth. And when you get to verse 8, it came to pass uh, here that, that, that Zacharias was there, there. They had this in the Old Testament temple and even here in the temple. Here there was morning and evening prayers. Not like a prayer meeting like we have would have, but th there would be a priest who would go into the holy place to the altar of incense there in the holy place in the morning and evening and would offer incense upon the altar and intercede for the people of Israel. Now many think there were about 20,000 priests at this time. Uh, we don't know for certain, but it seems like it was a lot because they had to cast a lot to see who would go in to make it fair, I'm assuming, because if you got that many priests, who's going to go in? And this was probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for any priest if you have that many. And the lot fell to Zacharias. This was probably the first and the last time he'd be able to do this. Uh, because this was probably a one-time opportunity to go into the holy place. Now, this is not the holy of holies. This is the holy place. There were three compartments to the temple. There was the outer court where the big bronze or brazen altar was where they offered sacrifice. And then you come into the holy place where the, the table of showbread and the golden lampstand. And then right before the door of the holy of holies, was the altar of incense. And of course, inside the Holy of Holies, that was where originally was the Ark of the Covenant. Well, Zacharias is to go into the holy place and go to that altar of incense and offer incense and prayers for the people. He had to be excited. I know I would be probably scared to death. And Zacharias goes in the holy place. And I like how, how uh, if you'll notice... Uh, Verse 10, the whole people, the people outside, well, that would be the outer court, were praying also. I, I get a picture of how, uh, of the church and Jesus here, by the way. And I think 
course, the temple. I'm getting on another subject, but I just had to hit on it. You know, we're here on earth. We're lifting up our prayers into heaven. Well, Jesus is in the holy place, the holy of holies, bringing them to God the Father. And all of this, of course, is a picture of Jesus and what we see in the temple. But Zacharias, as the people are praying outside in the outer court, goes before the altar of incense to offer incense and prayers. And what was he praying there at the altar of incense? You know, I don't know for certain. I think we can all generally say and be safe to say two things generally that he was praying for. Number one, he was praying for the Jewish people, the people of Israel, for their forgiveness, for their for their needs, whatever they may be. And secondly, for the coming of Messiah. I think we're safe to say that. And as he was praying and offering incense, an angel of the Lord appeared on the right side of the altar. And it says he was scared to death. He, it says he was troubled and fearful. He was fearful. I would be too if an angel appears. An angelic visitation. But the angel responds back to him, don't be afraid. Your prayer is heard. Now this is a great occasion, by the way. Those 400 years between Malachi and the New Testament is often called the years of silence. And what you see here, in Luke chapter 1, God's breaking his silence. The silence... Is being broken, my friends. God has not forgotten them. God has not forgotten His plan of salvation. He breaks His silent silence. The angel says, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And I love the name that He gives. We say this name all the time, but the word John is a beautiful name. John means Jehovah has shown grace. And I believe it's, it's tying into the ministry of what John the Baptist would do. That God was about to show grace to this world. God's always showing grace. But something great is about to happen through the ministry of John and the one that he foreshadows or, or goes before. It's interesting. It says God has heard your prayer. You know, God is, what does that mean? God is going to bless this faithful couple who've had faith in Him in their personal lives. They've never had a child. Here they are in their old age, and God is going to bless them, them with a child. And in return, this child, this son, is going to bless the people of Israel and this world. For He uh, is going to go before the Messiah. They say, he, he told him, you're going to have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth, at John the Baptist's birth. John, uh, and John is described here as he will drink neither wine nor strong drink. Uh, that, this is all descriptions of a Nazarite vow. Uh, very similar to Samson that you read of. If you read that account in the book of Judges, though, John the Baptist would be much more faithful to God than Samson. We know Samson violated his 
a Nazarite vow. But John the Baptist would have would be one who would abstain from wine and strong drink. And notice what it says in the last part of verse 15. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Boy, that brings up, you know, who chooses who? Do we choose God or does God choose us? And we know the answer is God is the one who chooses us, my friends. And thank God, he, thank God he does because we would never choose him. But he chose us. Uh, and so he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And what will he do? He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. As Elijah during the during those times when Ahab and those wicked rulers of Israel ruled and were worshiping idols, John the Baptist is coming to preach repentance just as Elijah did. And he's making ready a people for the Lord, the coming of the Messiah. That was John the Baptist's mission. Going back to Malachi, to go back to Malachi chapter 3, in verse 1, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, Malachi said, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, Verses 3 through 5. Notice this prophecy. John the Baptist was prophesied by both Isaiah and by Malachi. Notice verses 3 through 5. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. John's birth was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. And here we see it being fulfilled. He's coming, John is, to herald the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ. And it also means that Messiah is on His way when John appears. We can learn something from this that we should never, ever confuse the silence of God with the absence of God. That's a great danger uh, I was, I saw it several months ago and I saw it recently, well, actually yesterday. Uh, he, this, I'm not going to name his name. If you want to know, I'll tell his name afterwards. But he was, uh, he, he was big in the reform, well, not real big, but he was an up-and-coming preacher in the reform world. Uh, was a student uh, at Reform Seminary up in, Jackson, Mississippi, big on YouTube, debating apologetics, preacher. And earlier last year, 
almost about a year ago, he left the Christian faith. Uh, he says he still believes in a, in a God, but he just don't know what it is anymore is what he's saying. And he said what got him away from it was that, uh, and I'm not going to go all the details, but he was going through a terrible time. He was praying and praying, and God never answered his prayers. He says God just seems to be silent. Uh, and, and he said, I just gave up. You know what he was doing? He was confusing the silence of God with the absence of God. God's not absent. It may seem like he is. God did not abandon his people here. He's not abandoned us who are, who are his children. Matter of fact, Galatians 4 verse 4 states the very beginning of that verse says, For in, in the fullness of time God sent forth his Son. In what time? In the fullness of time. At the right time. It may have seemed like here in those 400 years many may have thought that, that God had forgotten them. But God had not forgotten. Don't confuse the absence of the the silence of God with the absence of it. God, my friends, is at work. We walk by faith, again I'll say, and not by sight. And that's the words of the Apostle Paul. And here we see the breaking of the silence of God with the prophecy of John the Baptist. I had a professor years ago by the name of uh, Dr. Roy Chapman going to be with the Lord, but he's he called John the Baptist. He said John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets and the first of the New Testament preachers, meaning he was saying he is the gap. He is the bridge between the old and the new. He's coming to prepare the way for the Christ, to prepare the way and, and prepare people's hearts to receive the good news. Isaac Watts in his famous Christmas carol, Joy to the World, said, Let every heart prepare him room. But that can only happen through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. And here we see that God, that some big things were about to happen within the next several months that we'll look at over this month here in December. Big things that were happening. God was about to do something wonderful and majestic. Now when Zacharias hears this, his response is similar to Abraham in the Old Testament when God told him that he was going to have a son. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> How can this be? I'm an old man and my wife's old and beyond childbearing. Now, this is a great man who had great faith in the Lord, but folks, even great men of faith like Zacharias and Abraham and others, and uh, all of us, we have lapses. Now, how can this be? You know, look, look at our circumstances. You know, we probably run our race. You know, don't ever think that, hey, God's through with me. You know, I did my part for God. You know, you know and a lot of times when people get older, by the way, they think that, you know, I've done my part. It's time for somebody younger to take over. And there may come a time, you know, but my friends, <laughs> there's no retirement plan in the, in the army of God, unlike the world. We're to work as that hymn says till Jesus comes. The angel responds, says, look, I'm Gabriel. 
I stand in the very presence of God. That's a powerful statement there. And I brought this message straight from him. He has wanted me to deliver personally to you. In other words, Gabriel is saying, this is not my word. This is not my opinion I've given to you. This is the word of God. And he tells him because he doubted the word of God that he's going to be mute till all these things take place and he'll be able to speak again. Now the people outside, if you'll notice here, were restless. You know, why is this taking so long? You know, it, it took a lot longer. And when Zacharias comes out, He's not able to speak. Now, my understanding here in looking at this, it was normal that when they would offer the incense upon the altar, they would come out and give the blessing that's found in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, uh, that Aaronic blessing. But he's not able to do it. He can't speak. He's mute. But for, in some way, they perceived, if you'll notice in verse 22, that he had seen a vision. For he beckoned them. He must have had that look on his face of amazement that something marvelous had happened. He wasn't stoic. He was maybe motioning, trying to tell them, man, I wish I could tell you just what happened to me. You ever, you ever have something great happen to you? You know, nobody's around. You can't tell it. You, you can hardly wait. I kind of get the feeling that's how Zacharias was. He'll be able to tell it later on, but not right now. Well, his time of service uh, his, was finished and he went back to his house. And what happens? Elizabeth conceives and is pregnant. And what does it say that she does? She praises God, Elizabeth does. The Lord has dealt with me. He has taken away my reproach. He has blessed me. Now, I don't know and I kind of doubt that Elizabeth... Since Zechariah, I guess he could have wrote it down if she understood everything that was going on right here. Zacharias knew. But she knew that God had blessed her. Like Zacharias, we often struggle to believe God and His Word. But God's Word is always true despite the circumstances. We must continually believe Him. And not our feelings... And not our circumstances. And look, right now in the days that we live in, sometimes we can get to doubting where is God at. We can, like that man I mentioned earlier, you can start to doubt God. God God's still working, my friends. The I mentioned that poem later, a carol that Longfellow wrote, that how it was a very depressing, you know, there's no peace on earth. But later on in that poem he wrote, Then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. As Christmas Day approaches, I'll remind you that God's not dead, nor does he sleep, my friends. God is very much at work in our world. And in some closing thoughts, in looking at this text, look, we live in a time of faithlessness today. What we're doing being here at church is something the majority of Americans are not doing. Uh, churches are dying. Churches are struggling. Some are closing down. 
Will we be faithful to God? Will we be faithful to Christ? Will we follow the example of Zacharias and Elizabeth during this time when uh, it seemed like you know the, there was nothing going on? They didn't know it, but they were faithful to God. And thirdly, I remind you again, as I've reminded you earlier, God's not absent. Are you looking to God or are you looking to this world? Uh, it may have seemed like in the months leading up to the incarnation of God the Son that God was absent, but He wasn't. He was very much at work. If you know Christ as Lord and Savior, I urge you, this month and every month, always look to Him. Believe His Word, not how you feel. If you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, if you don't know Christ, I urge you, without delay, come to Him. Believe that He was conceived by a virgin, born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, and died on the cross for sinners, and three days later rose again from the dead. And that He has ascended at the right hand of the Father, Believe upon Him today, my friends, if you know Him not as Lord and Savior. For God is very much alive in this day in 2023. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, help our unbelief when we struggle with it. When we struggle, Lord, and and. and and Lord, we, we wonder, where are you at? But we must always remember that your silence does not mean you're absent. Oh, give a, Lord, help our faith. We are such, Lord, we fail you so often. I know I do. Lord, help us to always know that your word is true. And just as, Lord, you worked in the, in the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth, Lord, you're working today. And I pray, Lord, for any who know not Christ today that you will work repentance and faith in their heart to look to Jesus Christ in whose name I pray, amen.